0: Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43. Today, we are going to read two full chapters in the book of Genesis. This is a long passage, but let me encourage you please, please don't check out during this reading of God's word. Every word of these two chapters is breathed out by God, and it is profitable. For your lives. And so, as a church family, let's give our full and careful attention to God's word, beginning in Genesis chapter 43, verse 1. Now, the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones." I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So so they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and, and spoke to him with him at the door of the house and said, Oh my Lord, We came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak with such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. He searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground, and Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What what shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. "'Only the man in whose hand the cup was found "'shall be my servant. "'But as for you, go up in peace to your father.' "'Then Judah went up to him and said, "'Oh, my Lord, please, "'let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, "'and let not your anger burn against your servant, "'for you are like Pharaoh himself. "'My Lord asked his servant, saying, "'Have you a father or a brother? "'And we said to my Lord, "'We have a father, an old man, "'and a younger brother, the child of his old age.' His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, and told him the words of my Lord, and when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes with us unless our bro- we we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes with us then we will go down for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us then your servant my father said to us you know that my wife bore me two two sons one left me and i said surely he has been torn to pieces and i have never seen him since If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant has become a pledge of safety for the boy to my father. Saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my Father. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Friends, a Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition of the word future is simply the time that is to come or what is going to happen. The future is what lies before us or what we have not yet experienced. The future is the next moment or the next day or the next season of our lives. The future is is easy to define, but it is a little more complicated in real life, isn't it? When we consider the future, we often have many different emotions that rise up. Sometimes we feel excitement and hope about the future, but many other times we feel fear and insecurity about the future. And church, I believe that that is particularly true during the current times that we live in. For for many of us, this world has never felt so insecure as it does right now. We feel insecurity about our jobs and about uh, the economy. We we wonder how we're going to be able to provide for ourselves in the future. Many of us look at our 401ks on a daily basis and we fear whether we will have financial security in the future or not. We feel insecurity in our relationships with our, will our family, will our marriage fall apart or will it stay together? Some of us feel fear for that one child and what life might turn out for them. We we feel insecure about ourselves. We know our own weaknesses and we know our own sinful patterns so well that we fear whether we can remain faithful to the Lord or not. Church, I think it's accurate to say that most people feel insecurity about the future. The future can be a very dark and difficult place. It can cause all kinds of anxiety in our lives. How many panic attacks have have risen up when we stop and think about the insecurity of our futures? But this is why we need the story of Joseph and his brothers so much. Seeing the sovereignty and the providence of God over all things in the life of these men, even over the most painful and uncertain things, seeing the sovereignty of God gives us, as God's people, a a stability and a security that our souls are longing for in this world. Our souls need this. Friends, the main idea for our message today is this. Your future is secure Because of God's sovereign grace. Your future is secure because of God's sovereign grace. And we have three points today. Uh, Because of God's sovereign grace, point number one, we have physical security. That's gonna be chapter 43, verses one to 15. Because of God's sovereign grace, point number two, we have spiritual security. That's chapter 43, verse 16, all the way down to 44, verse 17. And then point number three Because of God's sovereign grace, we have eternal security. That's going to be chapter 44, verse 18, all the way down to verse 34. Let's begin with the first point. Point number one, we have physical security. The physical need in these two chapters is so real. Look at verse one again. It says, now the famine was severe in the land. Because of this famine, Jacob and his sons cannot grow their own food in the land of Canaan. And the food that they've already received from Egypt, according to verse 2, has already run out. Physical need is the concern. Honestly, this is a matter of survival. Folks, the insecurity of this famine is equivalent to you and I losing our jobs and not having any paycheck coming in each month and having nowhere else to go for aid or assistance. And so we try to make the money that we have last as long as possible. We try to try to stretch the groceries out for a few extra days, but we know that those things can't last forever. It's like looking at your bank account and, and, and wondering if you're going to be able to pay those medical bills or whether your house is going to be foreclosed on and whether you will have any place to live. J- Jacob and his sons are in a very severe place of, of insecurity here. And not only is the insecurity about things like food and money, no, there's more than that here. The physical need is also to protect the family heritage. Jacob is fearful for his son, Benjamin. Benjamin. He knows, Jacob knows that he can't send all of his other sons back to Egypt without Benjamin because they will be either killed or thrown into prison. But he also doesn't trust his other sons to keep Benjamin safe. And so Jacob has has good reason to be fearful for his son. Some of you parents today have really legitimate reasons to be fearful for your kids. You see physical or mental or relational limitations in their lives and you wonder what their future will look like. Or you see spiritual apathy in their life and that raises concerns for you about the state of their souls. Parents, those are real concerns and they shouldn't be downplayed. As parents, we feel those things so deeply. And so listen, for all of us, if you are physically needy this morning, whether it's because you're wondering how to put food on the table, or if you're relationally fearful and needy, fearful for your child, fearful for your marriage, fearful for other relationships, in all these things, we feel insecure. But guess what? We're in good company. Those experiences of fear about the future have been the experience of God's people for millennia. For thousands of years, God's people, his chosen people, living in this fallen and broken world, have dealt with great insecurity in this world. This world does not feel like a safe place today, does it? Ever since humanity's fallen to sin, this world has always been a place of fearful insecurity. And the first 15 verses of this text are supposed to highlight this for us today. We are supposed to wonder, as we read these 15 verses is this the end of the story for God's people? Did did you notice how in in the first 15 verses, Moses, who's writing this account, he he uses the name Israel instead of Jacob. Israel is, is Jacob's covenant name given by God. And I think that we see it repeated here because we really are supposed to wonder whether the future of God's chosen people is coming to an end. Because this covenant family Israel seems to be seriously broken apart one son is currently serving as a quasi-Egyptian ruler in Egypt another son is a prisoner in Egypt the patriarch Jacob himself and his sons have no food left in the land of Canaan which is the promised land and they all are really at the mercy of this Egyptian leader who seems set on ruining their lives is this the end Has God's grace and goodness run out? Is it only pain and sorrow and hopelessness from this point forward? Friends, I think there are so many of us today who can wonder those same things about ourselves. Has God's grace run out for us? Is it only pain and sorrow and hopelessness and disappointment from this point forward? Has God forgotten me? Has he abandoned me? Why why am I not part of the happy story that he seems to be writing in so many other people's lives? But friends, even though these 15 verses leave us uncertain about the future, there's still reason to hope and to have courage here. Jacob expresses extraordinary faith in God. Now, Jacob is far (laughs) Far from perfect here. He is wrestling with fear in a big way. He seems to struggle with a good amount of self-pity. But he ultimately takes faith-filled action. He tells his sons to go down to Egypt with twice the money and all these other gifts as well. And then he says this. He says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. God Almighty. That name, God Almighty, in Hebrew, that is the covenant name El Shaddai. It means that God has all power. But listen, it also means that in his power, he is also able to bless. He has power, and and El Shaddai uses that power for the well-being of his covenant people. See, it's one thing to know that our God is all-powerful. I think most of us would agree that he is God Almighty. He created this world with his words. But how many of us have taken time to consider recently how he uses his power in a covenantal way towards his chosen people? Do you know what this is like? It's like not only knowing the president of the United States, but being a member of his family and being loved by him. It's like not just knowing Jeff Bezos in all of his incredible riches, but being his favored child. Not only do these men have, have power and resources, but they have power and resources that are available to you through their love and benevolence. Friends, that's who God Almighty is. Not only is he strong, not only does he have every resource available to him, he is also benevolent, and he's also gracious. He is also merciful and generous and loving towards his people. This is who our God is. And friends, listen, there's nowhere that we see this truth more than in how he sent his only son into this world for his people. And Jesus did not just come to give spiritual security to his people. No, Jesus promised physical security as well. Jesus, the very God himself, walked on this earth and he cared for the poor. He fed the hungry. He ministered to the needy. Christian, if you are fearful about your physical needs this morning, if you don't know what tomorrow will be like for you, and you feel anxiety rising up within you, listen to the words of your Savior. He says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is God Almighty. In all of his majesty and glory, he sees our physical needs and he promises to provide for every one of them. Friend, you can trust him today no matter how needy you feel this morning. And not only can we trust him to provide for our physical needs, we can also trust him to provide for our spiritual needs. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, we have spiritual security. You know, sometimes, sometimes our greatest fears about the future are not just physical fears, but they're spiritual fears. Sometimes, We are fully confident that our physical needs will be provided for. But but where we feel real insecurity and fear is in who we are personally. We, We feel insecurity about our relationship with God and in our relationship with others. I know that there are people here today who feel insecure in their relationship with God. You lack gospel assurance. You lack gospel confidence. You fear whether your own sinfulness is going to ruin your relationship with God and with those that you love in this life. But again, again, we can be encouraged today that we are not alone. Because see, if if anyone should have felt insecure about their relationship with God, it's Jacob and his sons. (laughs) These men... These men have proven that they are not godly men. Jacob, the father, was a deceiver and a manipulator of the worst kind. Simeon and Levi have committed genocide. Reuben has slept with his father's concubine. Judah had sexual relations with his daughter-in-law and then wanted to burn her alive afterwards. These men, together, have tried to kill their own brother. (laughs) This, This group of men who will become the father of all the tribes of Israel, these men could not be more spiritually bankrupt. They are evil. But their sinfulness is not the end of the story. Their sinfulness does not destroy their future as you might think. I think we expect that. We expect their sinfulness to eventually screw everything up in their lives. But that's not what happens. Look look at chapter 43, beginning in verse 16, all the way down to chapter 44, verse 17. In in this section, this second section, Joseph's testing of his brothers continues. And so they they arrive in Egypt, and and Joseph brings them into his house. He, He wants to eat a meal with them. Only there are some very particular things about this meal that they are going to share. Verse 33, and they sat before him, and the firstborn, according to his birthright, and the youngest, according to his youth. And and it says that these men looked at one another in amazement. They they had no idea how Joseph and his servant knew what birth order they would be in. How, How did he know who was the oldest and who was the youngest? But this is all very intentional on Joseph's part. But by sitting them according to their age and according to their status in the family, Joseph is highlighting the the natural hierarchy that exists. He's highlighting the, the family authority structure that they would have oriented around. But then notice what he does next. Look at verse 34. It says, portions, portions of food were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. Isn't that interesting? Why does Joseph give Benjamin five times as much? Here's why. Joseph is recreating the situation that he himself had experienced 20 years before. He, he's highlighting the, the family structure, and, the, 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 and then he is going to be giving double honor to the youngest of them. But what he's doing here is he's creating the same situation as in chapter 37, when Jacob had given Joseph the coat of many colors. Joseph did not have natural rank or privilege over his brothers, but he's given this coat of many colors, and his brothers are jealous. His brothers hated him for it. And so Joseph is creating the same situation now with Benjamin. He places them all in order of birth so that there's no mistaking what is happening, and then he gives honor to B- Benjamin, who is also their father's preferred child. Just, you know what Joseph is doing? Jo- Joseph is poking the bear. He's testing his brothers out to see how they will respond to the same situation from 20 years before. And he knows, he knows that they're not going to respond in this moment. They're they're too smart for that. This man before them has power to throw them in prison and to kill them. So they're not going to respond in this moment. But then look at what happens next, beginning in chapter 44, verse 1. As, As Joseph prepares to send his brothers back to Jacob, Joseph commands his steward to to put the money back in their sacks. And then look at verse 2. He says, and and put my cup, the, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. Look at what he's doing. He's giving his brothers an opportunity to throw Benjamin right under the bus like they had to him 20 years before. And so, verse 4 says that they had only gone a short distance from the city. Now, Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? He accuses them. He pursues them. He stops them. He accuses them of stealing this cup. And he says, Lower your bags. I'm going to search in your bags for the cup. Do you see what's happening? Joseph has created the perfect opportunity here, now away from Joseph for his brothers to sin against Benjamin in exactly the same ways that they had sinned against him. He's already incited their jealousy by giving Benjamin more food and now he's giving them the opportunity to betray Joseph and and in a sense to to sell him back to Egypt in order to save their own skins. Right, They, they could so easily now just say, oh man, it was in his sack. Benjamin, we're sorry. I guess you got to head back with the man. We'll tell dad what happened. It would have been so easy for them to go back home and say, Dad, we lost another one. Uh, Animal attacked him. Or Pharaoh just got angry and threw him in prison. It's the perfect opportunity for their sin to manifest itself again. And we as the readers fully expect that their sin will manifest in that same way. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's amazing to see how it doesn't. Their sin and their pride does not ruin everything. Something has happened to these brothers. God has been and God is continuing to be at work within them through their difficulties. He's not allowing their sin and their pride and their selfishness to destroy their lives completely. Throughout these two chapters, we we see a side of the brothers that that we haven't seen before. In Judah in particular, Judah steps up and he leads in a very godly way. The brothers together confess their mistake before Joseph's steward. And then in this moment with the silver cup, they express a, a trust in one another when they say, Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. They, they don't abandon Benjamin when it's found upon him. They're, they're standing together now, not separated like they have been. So something's different about these brothers. Alan Ross notes in his commentary, he says, In this chapter, the brothers promise to take blame for any catastrophe. That's responsibility on their part. They acknowledged their culpability and made restitution for the money in their sex. That's honesty on their part. They retrieved their brother from prison in Egypt. That's unity on their part. They recognized that God was at work in their midst. That's faith on their part. And they rejoiced in their provisions even when a brother was receiving more than they were. That's gratitude on their part. God has been at work within them. God has been using the difficulties to to humble them and to change them. And Redeemer Fellowship, the same is true for you and I today. If God is present and active in your life today through faith in Jesus Christ, listen, your own sinfulness cannot stop his good plans for your life. Nothing that you have done or ever could do can stop the good plans that your God has for you in and through the gospel of his Son. You know, Romans chapter 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that includes your sin this morning. If, If you are a Christian and you have put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, it doesn't matter how weak you feel. It doesn't matter how badly you failed this week. It doesn't matter how aware you are of your sinfulness. The Holy Spirit of God is now living within you. And he is described in the New Testament as the guarantee of your salvation. He is the seal over your soul. He is your assurance and confidence. And so in the same way that God's plan is not forfeited because of their sin, so your spiritual future is secure because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit within you. You and I, praise God, we have spiritual security this morning. That brings us to our third point. Point number three, we have eternal security. Maybe, maybe you wonder, as I just said all of that, maybe you wonder whether the change that we seem to see in Joseph's brothers is real change or not. Maybe you wonder whether it's just kind of a fluke on their part. Maybe they got something right all of a sudden. Yeah, well done, but maybe it's, it's not real. Maybe it's not sincere. Maybe they're just acting in order to save their own skins. Maybe you feel confident that like in your own life, it's only a matter of time before their own sinfulness ruins everything again. And that is a legitimate concern for them and for yourself. There has been very little about these brothers that has given us any confidence at all about who they are. There's there's little about ourselves today that should give us any confidence about who we are or about the future before us. In ourselves, we should be very fearful about our futures. But friends, what we see next is truly amazing. It's truly amazing because it reflects real, lasting, sincere change on the brother's part And it is amazing because it promises real, lasting, and sincere change for us as well. What we see now is that Judah steps up. And we saw this at the beginning of of chapter 43 when, when Jacob and his sons are now out of food. It is Judah who speaks. It's Judah who steps up and tells his father what it needs to happen. It is Judah in chapter 43 verse 9 who says that he is willing to be a pledge of safety for Benjamin. And then we see throughout the whole rest of the narrative it's Judah who speaks frequently to Joseph and to the steward. Judah has stepped into a leadership role for his family. And friends, that's really significant. It, it's significant first because We do not expect this from Judah. This is not who Judah has been. Judah is not the natural leader in the family. He's not the firstborn. He's not even the secondborn. He's the fourthborn. He's not a natural leader, and he's already proven how weak and sinful and unqualified he is to be the leader of God's people, right? Judah, Judah is the only son of Jacob who in Genesis has a whole chapter devoted to his sin, Genesis chapter 38. It's ugly, Judah is not qualified to lead, but yet here he is stepping into the needed role for God's covenant people. Church, what a comfort to us this morning that no amount of our sin can disqualify us from God's grace and mercy in our lives. In fact, it seems that that Judah had had a bit of a conversion experience of sorts. It seems... Like his his sinful mistakes of Genesis 38 have now humbled him and have slowly changed him and made him into a different man. In in chapter 38, Judah had lost two of his own sons. Two sons had died, and he had dealt with extreme family drama. But here in chapter 44, verse 18, Judah asks Joseph whether he can speak to him in private, and he, he tells Joseph all about his father Back in Canaan, and, and through this speech of, of Judah, it is evident that Judah truly loves his father and is truly committed to his family. You know, almost in a strange way, you see Judah use the word "father" fifteen times in these final verses, and, and Judah Judah speaks of Jacob's love for Joseph and Benjamin, and he doesn't seem to speak bitterly about it like he once did. He knows that Jacob loves them because they are Rachel's children. And as a father himself who has lost two sons, he has compassion on this situation. He sincerely wants to see the family reunited together. He wants God's family to be one. Oh, friends, how much that should encourage us as well. None of your past sins, even when they are past sins like Judah's past sins, none of your past sins are irredeemable. In fact, it is evident from Scripture that God often uses our past sins to sanctify us in a particular way, and oftentimes it's the pain of our past in the which God uses to give us purpose in the future. That, that seems to be what's happened here with Judah. By God's grace, beauty is coming out of brokenness and darkness. But that is not the only reason why Judah's actions here are such a big deal. His actions here are significant because this is a powerful picture of how God himself always raises up a mediator between God and men. There's a seemingly seemingly irreparable gap between Joseph and his brothers. Their, Their sin has broken this family relationship to pieces. Things are not good, but then Judah steps up. And Judah intercedes on behalf of Jacob and his younger brother, Benjamin. And not only does he intercede, Judah offers himself. Look at verse 33. He says, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. He's offering himself to take the place of his brother. Church, this is the very first example in our Bibles of a human substitute being offered to take the place of another. Judah is willing to die. He's willing to suffer instead of Benjamin. Only just let the family relationship be restored. Please, send them back to my father. And church, guess who Judah will ultimately become? Judah will become the tribe from which the kings of Israel are born? Judah will become the the tribe from which Jesus Himself is born. Judah is willing to. Die, and he is the distant ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus would be a descendant of this one. And so how fitting that Judah would be the first example of human substitution and sacrifice. What, what a picture of the gospel for us this morning. What a picture of how God will always raise up a mediator between God and man and to bridge the gap that has been created for us by our sin. What a picture of how committed God is to give you a hopeful future this morning. Judah's sacrifice, it, it breaks Joseph down. He says these things to Joseph, and in the very next verse, in chapter 45, which we will see next week, Joseph breaks under the weight of the emotions. And Joseph and his brothers are are reconciled. And that reconciliation, that, that forgiveness comes through Judah's offer of substitutionary atonement and sacrifice. And friends, it is our reconciliation, and our forgiveness, and our life, and our hope for the future that comes through the substitutionary sacrifice of King Jesus. Jesus, the long-awaited descendant of Judah, the king who would die for his people. Amen. Yes, the future can be a very fearful thing for us to consider. In ourselves, church, the future seems so uncertain. You start thinking about the years ahead and you can immediately feel panic rising up within you, but not for those who are with Jesus. Not for those who are with Jesus who is the king of all creation and who lives forever and whose sacrifice on the cross secures his people forever. Jesus will be the fulfillment of so many of the things that we see here in Genesis. He's going to be the descendant of Judah as we just saw. He will be king of kings. He will also fill the role of Levi and the Levitical priesthood in that he will offer a sacrifice for the sins of his people. The only difference between Jesus and the other kings of Judah, the only difference between Jesus and the other priests of Levi, the only difference is that what he does for his people is eternal, and it will last forever. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 7 with me. It's a glorious picture of how permanent our Jesus' work on our behalf is. Up in verse 14 of Hebrews chapter seven, it says, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And now listen to these words from later on in Hebrews chapter seven. It says, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better Hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it is not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Speaking of Jesus. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number. Judah passed away along with all the other priests because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Listen to these words. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Oh, church, are you fearful about your future? King Jesus, our great high priest, has offered himself on your behalf. He has been your substitute, and the work that he has done is not momentary. It's not precarious. You may wake up tomorrow with it or not. with. No, it is permanent, and it will last for eternity. And so let your heart, let your soul, let your family rest in this Jesus today.